So today, um, you know, we talked about a couple weeks ago, I talked about the battle for the seed, the continuing battle for the seed, and how that the enemy wants to take out the seed of the Word of God, but he also wants to take out our unborn. And, and so uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about, well, okay, so we have kids, so how do we train them up? How are we supposed to, what are we supposed to do with these little, they don't come with owner's manuals. Nobody told me what to do when my child did this, right? The best, the best uh, owner's manual for uh, a human being is the Bible. And, uh, and so we do have an open book test, but we got a lot of tests, don't we? So keep the book open. You're going to need it. Um, but I, I want us to, to, to talk through some of these things today. And, and this isn't just for parents. You might be an empty nester. Um, and, and so you and I, uh, as, as people that are empty nesters, um, we need to realize that the same way that we ought to look after our kids, God is looking after us. And so he uses this, uh, this analogy and this correlation in Hebrews chapter 12. I went to Bible college to learn that Hebrews chapter 12 comes after Hebrews chapter 11. <laughs> and Hebrews chapter 11, what's in Hebrews chapter 11, right? It's the hall of faith right? It's, it's the faith heroes. It's the people that did it, that God holds them up and say, well, this is what it looks like. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And, and this is what faith looks like. But then in Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us uh, that, uh, that as you have faith, there are things that need to happen in your life. Um, let me back up and, and talk about Hebrews 11 for one more point. Um, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, when it completes, all of these were still living by faith when they when they died. All of them still had things they were believing God for. All of them still had mountains to take. They had, uh, they had battles to win. They had challenges to overcome. They were things that they had come to the Lord for and God had put faith in their heart for. But before, but, but before it was ever fully completed, God takes them off the, off the page. He takes them off the scene. And so you and I, our lifelong journey is a journey of faith. We are all at some level in what we like to call around here the messy middle. Where we've conceived for something by faith. God's spoken to us and he said, I'm going to do this in your life. And, and then we start on a journey. And, uh, and, and the, the messy middle is we've got to wait for it to come to pass. But how you wait. I just don't know if it's ever going to come to pass. <laughs> how you wait. You know, determines right? The, the level of joy in your journey and whether or not people are attracted to what you got while you're believing. I'm just believing God by faith. Convince me because <laughs> your faith isn't, your face isn't even convinced that you're believing God by faith. <laughs> There's no joy there, right? And uh, so we're going to read this together. Hebrews chapter 12, it's a lengthy passage, verse, uh, verses 4 through 13. <clears throat> give me your best, give me your best speaking voices. If you were in kids' church, I'd say, sit up straight, put your hands in your lap, put your feet in the floor, and don't touch anybody nearby. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted, I can't hear you, to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. 
For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. In those 10 uh, verses, the word discipline is used 10 different times. So God, you know, obviously has the, the subject. He didn't bury the lead in this. He put it right out there for us to understand. You know, God is interested in us understanding what discipline is about. So let me read to you uh, an Oxford definition, and then I'll, I'll, bring, I'll bring a little bit more of a biblical scriptural definition around it as well. The Oxford definition of discipline is the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. Uh, but the scriptural idea of discipline, here the Greek word is uh, paideia, and it has more to the idea of cultivation to a standard rather than punishment, uh, though, though chastisement can be the result of disobedience. So when you and I are thinking in terms of how discipline happens in our lives, God sees what we can be in ways that we can't see what we can be. And God sees the end from the beginning. He sees the harvest of righteousness that we don't even see. What we see is our moment-by-moment difficulties, our moment-by-moment tests, our moment-by-moment stresses. And, And yet God sees the whole big picture. And what does he do? But he causes discipline uh, in our lives so that we can cultivate and become the person he wants us to be. Does that make sense? Um, uh, Let's just talk about disciplines for a minute. Mathematics is a discipline. Music is a discipline. Right? Um, Exercise is a discipline. All of these are elements that are in our life to a lesser or greater degree. That if we will apply ourselves to us, uh, to this objective standard called music theory, for instance. You know, if you can just say, well, I'm a musician. Do you play by ear or are you classically trained? Well, you might play by ear and, and you just trained your ear to hear what sounds like good music. Or you could be classically trained and learn music theory. But if you just get up and do whatever feels good... Without any kind of discipline, you might call it music. We'll all call it noise. <laughs> right? Uh, so discipline has to do with an objective standard that is designed to cultivate in us, you know, things that will release us for greater expression. You know, uh, it, you know somebody who's learning music goes over and over and over scales and over and over. What, what are they doing? You're, you're building neural pathways as you set at a piano, for instance, and you, go, and you memorize each note in each key, and then you learn to reach for those, and there's, there's memory that's, that's being built into your muscle memory so that you can then begin to play. And the, the point isn't just, okay, I just need to learn the keys on the piano. The, 
the point is to be able to employ that piano as an expression of who you are. And so everything about discipline is ultimately so that we can express what it is that God has put down on the inside of us. And so when you and I learn to cultivate those kind of things, um, we can understand that when God corrects us, here's here's an old saw that preachers love. Correction is not rejection. It is redirection for your perfection. When we read Hebrews chapter 12, sometimes we, all we see is the punishment piece. God is that ogre in the sky with the big club and he's waiting to whack you, Jehovah Wacka. And he's just waiting to whack you. He's, gonna, he's trying to catch you doing something wrong. You know, and, and that's people's opinion. But the, notice here that the expression that, or the, the, the analogy that the writer of Hebrews uses is that God is your father who cares for you. You know, what happens to my kids is a matter of my heart. What happens to my kids is a matter, they, they might leave your home, but they never leave your life, and they certainly never leave your heart. And I want it to go well with them, and I'm not nearly as good a dad as my heavenly father. And so if I understand a little bit about the father heart of God because I'm a father, then I can understand that I I only want my kids to do well. That the the greatest thing that I could uh, see is that for them to develop into the fullness of what it is that God has intended. And here's the point. God has a bigger picture of your kids' lives than you do. And so sometimes one of the things we do is we, well, I think I know. But yeah, but God probably knows just a little bit better than you. Give him some credit. He's done this a while. So here's the thing for us. The struggle of discipline is real. Touch your neighbor and say, the struggle is real. And here's what we need to understand about the struggle. We need to recognize, point number one, that it means you are loved and not hated. So rejoice. You are loved. The fact that you're going through hardship, that means you're loved. If it all went well with you in this world, when Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble... What if you didn't have any trouble? What if every time you got your way? What if, what if just being sloppy about your, uh, about your appearance got you the best job? What if you never had to grow in anything, shape, or form? Would you rise to uh, an occasion or would you fall to the lowest common denominator? What would you do? Standards cause us to work and cause us to develop and cause us to grow. And God understands disciplines. He understands objective standards help us uh, become what we would not become otherwise. Verse 6 says, the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. I know that my folks are watching this right now, but I'm going to tell a story. You know, I I can remember when my parents... Uh, discipline me. My dad in particular, there were two spankings in particular that I remember. I don't think I had a whole lot more than that, but I, I, I do remember those two. And I could be lying, okay, but I was, very, I was pretty much a compliant child, very responsible um, in that regard. Um, and the reason was because it mattered to me what my folks thought about me. I didn't want to be the, I didn't want to disappoint them. Are you tracking with me? And so I remember one time that my, uh, watching my dad uh, tune an Evinrude motor that was stuck down in a, uh, a trash can full of water. And he was tuning the engine and he had a, a, a little uh, mason jar that had gasoline in it. And he was, you know, pre-mix and he was dumping it into the engine and tuning it and everything. And he went inside to get some lunch or water. And I just 
the experimental side of me took over. I thought, I wonder what would happen if. And so I took the container of uh, gasoline, a little glass jar, and I stuck it down in the bottom of the thing, and I wondered what it would do. Well, you know what happened. As soon as he fired it up, that thing ground up like a, like a food processor, you know? And, uh, and he was like, where did, my, where did my jar go? And I remember him saying, don't touch that on the way in. That was the violation, right? Don't touch that. And so I remember, you know, getting, getting lit up for that. You know, Mom, mom's way of, of lighting me up, though, dad used his hand, but mom's way of, of lighting me up was use whatever she could find. She wasn't going to hurt her hand, so she would just use whatever. Now, my mom never wore flip-flops. Some of y'all have moms with flip-flops. You know what that is. Those are, those, those are two boards of education that will be applied to the seat of knowledge if, 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 it, if it comes to it. So she's walking around on those spanking devices, man. My mom, she used a fly swatter. And uh, back in the day, the old fly swatter. In, and I was like, what is this, what's she saying about me? She's whapping me like a fly. And I remember leaving leave some welts there and whatever, you know. And, but, I, you know, I remember. I also remember I learned to outrun her. <laughs> but I'd always come back for dinner. So I would, you know, yeah. So she's like, that's all right, big boy. You know, so it might have been a newspaper or a magazine or it might have whatever she'd get her hand on. That's, that's what it was. But, you know, but understanding that there was, I, I knew the standard. I knew what was expected of me. And when I violated that, it was just enough correction to get me back to where I needed to get a hold of that standard again. Because if I did that, we were just having this conversation uh, this past week. I remember the first and only time I took something that wasn't mine. And I was six years old, and I went into Old Man Klug's grocery store on Main Street in Lakeview, Michigan, and I, I, I found a piece of penny candy that was right at my height, you know, and I, and I took this piece of candy and it stuck it in my pocket, and we got in the 1973 Dodge Dart, we're driving down the, uh, the, the dirt road, got within a mile of the house, and, and you know, us kids back in the day, we didn't have, we didn't have car seats, we didn't have seat belts, man, I'm, I'm hanging over, right over the seat, next to my mom's head, man. I'm just right there. And I reach down and I take that candy and I stick it in my mouth. And that was, I was not very bright at six. If I wanted to really do something on the slide, that was not the way to do it. And as soon as I stuck that piece of candy in my mouth, my mom looked over there and she said, where did you get that? I said, from the grocery store. Did you pay for it? No. And she stopped the car, turned it around, drove all the way back to town, Marched her six-year-old Kenny Kramer in there and said, there's Mr. Klug. He owns the store. You stole from him. Here's 10 cents. Go in and pay for it. And so, man, that was the longest walk. (laughs) But when I paid for that and I apologized and walked away, it registered something in my soul that produced a harvest of righteousness. It was a small thing, but it's kept me all these years. Right? I have a, I have a mom that, that contacted me. When you got all the kids we do around here at the child care center, stuff gets tore up. And, uh, and this mom, I love it. I love it. Because she and two of her uh, three, three boys decided to kick a hole in the sheetrock in one of our rooms. 
And this mom will not let it go. <laughs> and she's just, she, she called and, and, you know, and I've been traveling and everything. So it happened like when we were gone to the DR. And so uh, she's like calling me. She's calling. She's, I, I really need to, I really need to talk to you. I want you to lecture my son. I, if there's a way that, if there's a way that he can help put it back right, we got to do. And I'm like, I got it. I got it. Nick's helping me out with it. Andy's helping me out with it. Okay, we're going to do it. This week, that little guy's going to find out. <laughs> That he's got to repair some sheetrock. And so, you know, two other, and, and you know, that's, those, those are small things. But we're looking for the harvest of righteousness. And moms, you, you notice stuff. And you know this is, you know right from wrong. You know what needs to happen. Stick to your guns. Don't just let them go. Don't just let them get by with stuff. Oh, they'll grow out of it. No, they'll grow worse. <laughs> Because if, it, if it's a degree off here, it's a mile off 10, 15 years from now. And that's what, this is what God understands about discipline. Notice here uh, that when we discipline, we love. This is what God has shown us. It means you're valuable and you're worth cultivating for the future. Now that word cultivation is a huge thing. Because we don't make it about the objective standard. We make it about the cultivation. We make it about what, it, what is growing on the inside of my child right now. What are the hindrances to what's growing? And in your life and mine, it's not just about keeping the rules. It's about the desire to know my Father. Jesus came not just to get us to heaven and, and get our ticket punched. He came to reveal the heart of the Father. Most important name or word in any of Jesus' prayer is Father. Most used word in Jesus' prayer life. You want to pray like Jesus? Use the word Father a lot. Jesus said, I came to reveal my Father. I only do what the Father says. I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what he tells me to say. Father, Father, Father. That's the way Jesus operated. He came to reveal the Father. And the Father's love. The, the, the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. The fact that God uses objective standards in your life and mine uh, shows us that he wants us to develop into everything he knows we can be. Number two, when we endure, we will more clearly resemble our father and receive his promise. Here's, here's the thing I want you to understand uh, about this passage in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 talks about... Uh, talks about a child. And there are a couple of different words. In the English, you don't get it. Uh, one, of those, one of those words um, is, is weos, and it just means a child by biology. And then there's this word here, and I, can't, I didn't write down the, what the Greek was in here, but here's, here's the thing you need to understand about the definition between the two. One of them means it's a biological child. But the other one means this is a son that looks like his father. There's a resemblance of the, the father's style, personality, expression. We look like our father. And that's what this, this word in Romans chapter 8 verse 14. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. This word sons means that they resemble the, the, for, uh, the father. So it's not just a genetic connection. But it's an alignment with the heart. It's an alignment with behavior. It's an alignment with purpose. And so God uses discipline in our lives to bring us into alignment with his character. This is what uh, the, the word says there. God disciplines us for a time so that we may share in his holiness. 
that God is wholly other from this world and you and I can participate in his holiness as we allow discipline to have its way in our lives. Um, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12. We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Right? So here we celebrate faith all the time. Faith is sort of like conception and all the guys like the idea of conception um, as it relates to biology and uh, and so conception is the is is the exciting part but the child hasn't been formed and born yet and that is all a process right so imagine that this uh, that this hourglass is is the moment at which you decide to follow God by faith and so you heard the words of Jesus of who he says he is and you've you decided to trust Jesus. You, you trust that God is the Father, that Jesus is his Son, and that he has forgiven you of your sin. And in that moment, in that moment, conception took place. And, and now the promise is waiting to be fulfilled in your life. All of that was the promise. And now it's waiting to be fulfilled. Right, And so everything in between these two times is this span of time. See, God uses time as an objective standard to form his son in your life and mine. We don't know how long our dash is, right? You've heard the old, uh, the old saying, you know, there's a, uh, you go look at that headstone and you have a, de- a, a date and then another date and a dash in between. And none of us know how long our dash is. Right? But we know that this side of heaven is just the dressing room for eternity. That we're not going to get a chance to do anything about what has been done in this life in the next. That God is just about forming his life on the inside of us. And that's why Hebrews 11 says they were all still living by faith when they died. They were waiting for the fulfillment. But we know that, that God is perfecting us in this process. And so if we will understand... If, and if I can get this across to you today, that the hard things in your life are not God punishing you, but the hard things in your life are God forming Jesus on the inside of you. One preacher said it this way, everything that happened in your life until you came to Christ was, was hand carved, to, designed by the Lord to bring you to Jesus. Everything that happens in your life after you come to Jesus is prepared by God to form Jesus in you. So that the Son of God might reveal himself in you. Now as a parent, the loneliest place that I've ever found myself being is a dad who knew that I needed to provide a standard, but it was a very unpopular standard. Holly wasn't comfortable with it because she's the nurturer, 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 but dad's the one that feels like the drill sergeant that's left out in the cold that has to say, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to do this. And the kids didn't like it. And I, I wasn't their favorite guy at that moment. And Holly didn't like it. I wasn't her favorite guy at that moment. I feel like I'm outstanding in my field <laughs> with nobody around. Right? But when you understand the way God does what he does, and nothing can teach you the father heart of God more than being a parent yourself. And how unpopular it is for God when he says, do this and you want to do it another way. Or you go through some hardship and you say, God, why? 
Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to suffer this way? All my friends are not suffering this way. Why do I have to suffer this way? Maybe God sees something in your life that he wants to cultivate that you can't see. And because you can't see it, you, you take it out on him. You complain at God. Because just like my kids did with me. Well, you just don't know. No, I know way more than you know. I've been on this planet decades longer than you. But it's not a rational argument, is it? Right? So, so God understands things that we don't understand. And what happens is many times we blame God for the things that are in our lives to form Jesus in us. We want to celebrate when, when somebody has a breakthrough and got on the other side of their suffering, but maybe the suffering is there to form Jesus in us. And, and you know, the world that we live in just sucks. Let me just say that. Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> Your world sucks. But isn't that what Jesus said? In this world, you're going to have trouble. But if you'll take heart in me, you'll overcome. Maybe hard things in this world, if we will discipline ourselves, this is a Zig Ziglarism. Anybody ever read any Zig Ziglar? He was a motivational speaker from another, from another generation, but a godly man, big, big Sunday school class, First Baptist Dallas, I think. Just, just a brilliant guy. But he used to say it this way. He said, life is hard, but if you be harder on yourself, life will be easier on you. If you'll be harder on yourself, life will be easier on you. That's what I just read from the book of Hebrews. Strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees so that you won't become disabled. What, what you and I need to do is we need to recognize that hardship is there for us to climb on and get better because of. Hardship, when we go through hardship, that's when we really find out who God is. That's when we really find out what God can do in our lives. Well, you got to get to the end of yourself first. You know what I'm talking about? When, uh, when I was in uh, high school, I had a, a strength training coach named Coach Roll, R-O-L-L. And his, his legs, he was a bodybuilder. His legs were bigger than my waist. He had like 30-inch legs. I had a 29-inch waist in high school. Don't know what happened to it. It's in there somewhere, I guess. I don't know. I've given up for the dad bod. And Coach Roll used to, uh, he used to, you know, teach us how to train in the weight room. And we used to do what we called negatives. And you basically, you know, you'd, you'd say, okay, we're going to do 10, uh, we're going we're gonna to bench press X amount of, of weight for 10 times. And you got to eight and you couldn't do it. You had to do the negatives. The negatives were they would lift it up for you. The spotter would lift it up and then you had to just feel it all the way down and count to 10 all the way down, right? And, and you know what's, what's happening. You're breaking down that muscle tissue and everything. And then, and then you eat way more protein than you're supposed to. And then and you sleep a couple days and you come back. And actually now instead of only doing 10, now you can do 10 or doing eight, you can do 10 because you've done those negatives and you've, and you've allowed the weight, you've allowed that objective standard to push you and you tried to hold it up. You couldn't hold it up. Can I tell you that God fills in those areas of your life 
when you get to the end of yourself and you don't know what to do, God fills in those areas and he's strengthening you. What's he strengthening? You got to the end of what you could do and then you had to go by faith. The last two reps were by faith. I ain't got this. God says, but I do. And then he builds you up. And then the next time you turn around, you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. It's not so bad. You know what you do? You went through a test. You went through a time of testing of your faith. You, you were, your arms were strengthened. Your knees were strengthened. You went through the test and you came out stronger as the result. And this is what God wants us to see. When we're going through hard times, praise God. But I can't do that when you're talking to me on the phone. Say, Pastor Ken, it's so hard. I want to go, praise God. Yeah. Let's get excited about this right now. Spiritual growth. No, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk with you. But then at some point, we're going to have a shouting match. We're going to have a testimony. We're going to say, look what God did. Look what God, because your test brought about your testimony, right? You, we got the scriptures in place. Okay, what are we doing? We're in the messy middle. That's what we're doing. What do we have need of? Oh, I wish. You know, how many of you have been around somebody before with the gift of faith? We have a few people in the room that have the gift of faith. And, you know, and they just, they can just make stuff happen because Holy Spirit prompts them and they're like all of a sudden, right? They, they just know this is what's supposed to happen. Um, do you know that the Bible doesn't have a gift of patience? That you can't come to the altar today. I couldn't offer it. Okay. Uh, uh, Jehovah Zappa is going to zappa you with faith, uh, with patience today. So come to the altar and receive patience. You could receive healing that way. You could receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that way. You could receive salvation that way. God's just going to give it to you. But the word says that faith and patience have to finish their work. And the patience part is where you keep coming to God and say, God, I trust that your word, you, you are not a liar. And I trust that when you made this promise that you're going to bring it all the way through. Jesus is the author of our faith and the finisher of our faith. That what was conceived by faith and prayer, and I hope you write it down. I hope when the Holy Spirit speaks to you a scripture, you write that thing down and you say, I believe in God for this. And you write that down. Why? Because it, it came alive on the inside. Tomorrow you're going to be tested on it. But it's an open book test. But just make sure you write it down and you remember that, you know what, God spoke this to me and I'm believing him for it. Because, the, the, you know, Paul in the book of Romans says, we, it, we ought to have patience because you know the character of the one who made the promise. And you know that if God made a promise that he will not lie. And so all we have to do is say, huh, I got my promise. Is it hard? Oh, yeah. I'm not making light of it. I just want you to understand that just because it's hard doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It, in fact, means God does love you and, and that seekers become finders. And if you stop seeking God because you decided you wanted the easy way out, oh, well, let's see, Sarah and Abraham did that. Um, what happened then? You know, what happens is if we lean on the arm of the flesh, eventually it becomes a snare. But if we'll learn to trust God in the midst of a difficult situation and we're patient and we endure that hardship uh, as discipline, uh, it, it all points to the fact that we're waiting, we're working for the harvest and not only the seed. 
And this is the thing that uh, the writer of Hebrews says, you had fathers that did the best they could with what you what have anybody in this room raised by a perfect father or a perfect mother? No. But the writer of Hebrews says they did what they knew to do. They did the best that they could possibly do. Stop blaming bad potty training for your behavior. Stop blaming a poor upbringing. Don't refuse to be a victim. Refuse to be any of that. Choose to say, you know what? The only perfect father I can see is in the Bible. And the only perfect son I can see is in the Bible. And so everybody else's standard doesn't matter. Their standard is the one I'm going to hold on to. And even, but, but the writer of Hebrews says, your, your father did the best he could. And later on it produced a harvest of righteousness. You know, the way I came up, it was, I was left to myself a lot. But my, you know, here, here, here was the, you want to hear the lecture that my mom gave me about sleeping around? Take notes. It goes like this. I know you're going to sleep around, but don't get a girl pregnant. She's a little German lady. She's very sparse on words. Didn't, didn't use a lot of words. She never nagged me. That was a conversation that took, one, took place one time when I was 14 years old. Never, ever, ever brought it up again. You want to hear a lecture on, on uh, alcohol? I know you're going to drink. Don't drink and drive. End of lecture. Never nagged me. Never brought it up again. I didn't have a, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't hate her for staying on my case all the time. She just told me what the standard was and what her expectation was. That was it. That was it. You know? And I never got a girl pregnant until I was married. And I surprisingly, you know, it, the natural consequences of alcohol just didn't appeal to me. I mean, like, why? What's the point of that? I was making good money. Why would I want to spend it all on a Friday night? Who does that? Right? And, uh, and so you and I need to realize that when God speaks to us and, and we connect by faith, we are, we've just got to endure. We've just got to walk it out. And, you know, one, one last tidbit, I think, uh, for parents that are in it right now. And, you know, I can, Holly and I can commiserate with you. We can sit, we can talk, and we're like, yeah, kids can be really hard. I mean, they are. And, and you know what God is doing on the inside of you? He's teaching his heart to you. He's teaching you there are times when you got to be strict and there are times when you got to be patient and there are times where you got to offer mercy and, and there's no set way to do it. And how many of you know that your kids don't all respond to your authority the same way? You know, one of my kids would cower if I said, if I just looked sideways and the other one said, I dare you to tell me what to do. <laughs> dare you. I use no names because it would cost me money. <laughs> <clears throat> but I do remember, and Holly and I homeschool our kids, and so uh, that brings a whole other dimension, right? Now it's not just, okay, I just got to get you uh, in, in line uh, to get out the door and get on the bus, and then I can just, you know, have my day free to uh, recuperate until you get home, and I got to deal with you again. Um, it's, it's not that. Um, but I do remember that the sooner we switched over to natural consequences in our kids' lives, don't do for your kids what they can do for themselves. As early as possible, make sure they're cleaning up after themselves, 
Make sure that they are getting themselves up on time. Make sure that they are dressing themselves. Why? Because we're looking for a harvest of righteousness. Grown-ups have to do all that stuff. So if grown-ups have to do it, the sooner the child can do it, the better. And if you do it for them, what are you communicating to them? That it's okay, you know, that they're not responsible for that because mom's always going to do it. I've met, let me tell you, if you think that your child, because you, you always make sure that their room is immaculate, will ever do it like you do it to your standard, we need a support group. It ain't going to happen. But here's the other thing that I know. I know grown-ups that are very well adjusted that don't keep a real clean house. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, if you come look at my yard, it's going to look like I gave it up for the ministry. If somebody had taught me how to cut grass and do all of that kind of stuff, it's like, yeah, okay, I could do that better. But that's not what I want to focus my life on. If I wanted to focus my life on, on making sure the grass was in alignment, that every grass was, uh, you know, blade of grass was the same level, let me tell you, you know, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever, right? So we've got to focus on the things that matter, and our kids' development in God is priority. I don't, they'll probably, some of them in this room probably will grow up and be a millionaire. Some in this room will come up and be a, a, a sports star. But every one of them ought to be godly because godliness holds value for this life and the life to come. Amen? You understand where I'm? So so we need to make sure that we don't stand between them and the natural consequence of their actions. I know it's painful. It's hard to watch when your kids break the rules and, and, and suffer for it. But better they encounter that natural consequence now than than when it's unretrievable. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're going to have to watch them go through stuff, and it's going to hurt. Go talk to God. And he'll say, yeah, it does hurt. He's got compassion for you and me as parents because he knows how we feel. But you, just like God doesn't stand in somebody's way, and he gives them free will, and he said, you can go make your choice. I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. He doesn't make our choice for us. He allows the natural consequences of our world to bring us back into alignment. And we can't blame him for that. In fact, we ought to love him for that. We ought to say, oh, okay. There's a lot to this thing, right? I could go on. But I won't. That's a good stopping place. For for your benefit, um, I I put this together a few years ago. It's called uh, the... uh, uh, the audit for the five T's. That when you're talking, uh, this is good for us, but it's also good for your kids. Uh, the temple, how, are we, how am I looking after my body? You know, if my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, I'm entrusted as a steward of my physical body. Uh, I once talked to uh, a minister who had retired, and he retired right about the time that he needed to have uh, a knee replacement. And so he used, let the knee replacement cause him. He was always, always very successful, but he, he retired so that he could do the knee replacement. And then as soon as the knee replacement was healed up, he was like, why did I retire? And this is what he said to me. He said, Jesus deserved my whole life, and I cut it short. And, and part of the challenge that he had with his knee replacement was because he hadn't taken care of himself, you know? And so... 
so your temple, looking after your temple. Your testimony. You're a steward of your testimony. God, God gives you a testimony. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with the miracles that Jesus has done in your life? Uh, what are you doing with the, the, the relationships with the people around you? Do a little audit of that. Your treasure. This is, you know, this is how am I looking after? How well am I doing looking after what it is that God has given me? And there's things in there using a net worth calculator. Calculate your net worth. A lot of people just don't know. They just don't pay attention. We just kind of do life. And we don't, we don't take an audit of where we're at in that area. Your talent. What are the things that God has uniquely gifted you to do? Because that's how he's fashioned you to fit into his world and to exhibit his grace. And then our time. You know, when was the last time I kept a time log or a journal of my time? Oh, I've run out of time. Time is an objective standard that God gives us to get things done. When I work with uh, churches and business leaders and whatever, the action steps always come down to who does what by when. Who does what by when. And if we get everybody doing their what by when, and we know who's doing what by when, then things run very efficiently. God put time in your life. Not so that you could always just, ooh, I've got all the time in the world. It's God's time. Steward it well. That's not to say that you got to work all the time. I love that there's an old Jewish uh, uh, rabbi saying that says, God will judge you one day for all the things that he created for you to enjoy, but you refused. So on the one guardrail is some of us work all the time and we fill up all of our day and all of our life with nothing but work. And then some of us are over here on the other side and we're saying, what's the least amount I can work today so I can play the rest of the time? Somewhere in the midst of it. Somewhere in that middle is where God wants you to be. Amen? Let's stand this morning. Thank you for, your, uh, uh, for enduring along with me today. And uh, we, we got a lot done. And let me just pray over you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here today. Lord, I thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. And that, Lord, our understanding of time and your understanding of time are different. That you said in your word with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Help us to see, Lord God, that what you're looking for is character and cultivation of Jesus on the inside of us. That we might look at the minutes and the hours and the days and you're looking on the inside for love and joy and peace and patience. Help us to see, Lord God, that you are committed to our development, that your holiness is what you're looking to have happen, and you do that because you love us. So help us, Father, to walk in alignment with your holiness. Help us, Father, to evaluate. You have gifted us time today. And we've invested it in hearing your word. Let that word come to pass on the inside of us, we pray. In the name of Jesus, thank you for blessing our time. In your name we pray. Amen.